Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible was about him. So each week, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of Scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Seth, how are you today? I'm doing great. Uh, We are officially in our new podcast studio. We are. Yeah, we just moved offices. We're in the same little office park that we have been in, which is like a center for nonprofits. So we have a super discounted rent here, which is amazing, but we moved to a bigger suite, which has its own room for the podcast. Last time, our podcast room was our conference room, which was also our Devo set room, which was also our meeting room. Yep. So, and we couldn't run the AC while we were podcasting. Yeah, yeah, the AC was really loud in that room, and so we had to turn it off. But now, you're wearing a jacket. I'm wearing a jacket. And it's 90 degrees outside. I am... Reborn. Reborn (laughs) to podcast. The podcast is so reborn. Um, but we are stepping into the shortest book we've ever podcasted. Second John. Two John. Two second, John. <laughs> second John. Second John. Uh, uh, yes. The second letter of John to his community. Yes. Um, that we have. That we have. Yes. Because there's probably a fourth. Oh, yeah. At least, yeah. at least one other that we'll uh, talk about probably in, in third, third John. John. In third yeah. John. But yes, second uh, John is really interesting. We'll talk about all the details of it, but maybe a reason why you should care yeah. about Why should I care about second John, David? this podcast. Uh, is he talks about um, like the truth of Christianity. And sometimes, despite, I think, even my own like mm-hmm. predilections and uh, is like sometimes truth must be defended by hard boundaries. Mm-hmm. Like so much so that like you shouldn't even be hospitable to certain people yeah. based on their... Um, a, uh, relationship with the truth of, about Jesus. Yeah. And I'm like, it's very offensive. And today, really especially. kind of uniquely, like John calls that loving. Like, right. We're supposed to walk in truth and love. Something yeah. that Jesus talked about, but like policing boundaries is also a way to love. Yeah. Uh, and so that's what's kind of on the line in the book of John. Yeah. So that's really interesting. Second John. Yeah. So, um, I mean, so we, we've we've kind of come from First John. Let's set the stage here. I, I, the best way I thought about Second John. Well, so First John was yeah. written to like John's entire apostolic community. It feels like it's re- definitely written to churches with similar issues. Yeah, but there's a universality to it. Like, okay. there's no introduction. There's no calling to a specific church or mm. the mention of particular names, and there was no official greeting. It just began. Right. Here's, and there was no and there was no ending. There it was just no said, ending. Keep yourself from idols. <laughs> yeah, it's like there there is like a universality or a, a generality to John's first letter yeah. that John breaks with here in Second John and becomes more specific. And he says to the elder, to the elect lady and her children. Yeah. And he ends his letter by saying, "And this elect lady." greets you mm. so it's seen in elect lady is just john's way of referring to a, a church. church it's like this is the elect lady the, the elect, bride of christ the bride of christ and her children the members of that church yes um and i think that's really interesting yeah he, like, he grows in specificity in the second letter yeah and he also uses 
He, I mean, so he kind of uses a, a, a Christian-y code word for the church, the elect lady, and then he, use, he uses one for himself, too. He doesn't say John to the yeah. church in right. so-and-so, Ephesus. He calls himself the he elder. Calls himself the elder, mm-hmm. which is um, not just a reference maybe to his age, but also to his position in the church. Yeah. That he is positionally, apostolically, right? Uh, you know, well, over gonna, this church. And I was going to say, interestingly, he pulls on his apostolic authority in the first letter, mm. but now he's pulling on his authority as an elder here. Right? Maybe so, this is a significant enough difference that some scholars think it's written by a, a different, different person. person. I don't think so. No. However, it is interesting that he refers to himself differently and the church he's addressing differently than he did in the first letter. Yes. And in third John, he'll get even more specific and it's directed to an individual person. Right. Um, and what I think is the way that I was thinking about second John is like, it's like a booster shot. A booster shot. He like in first John, he spends five chapters yeah. unpacking this, this very similar concept, the deceivers, the antichrist, truth love, being born of God, teaching the truth, mm-hmm. living in the truth, obeying the commandments. Take five chapters to unpack them in First John. In Second John, it is in 13 verses. Yeah. And it's, I, I was like, it's kind of it's like a booster shot. Yeah, he even uses a lot of the same themes, mm-hmm. but he just throws them all in right next to each other. So to help us get in this then, you mentioned um, he's kind of building on First John, mm-hmm. and this is the booster shot. So it has similar... Um, yep. RNA particles in it, yeah. but, but it's, it's a new, it's a new, there's a new variant threat. There is. There's a, the Delta variant. The Delta variant of second John. We're dating is, this podcast. Um, uh, but yes. Uh, so set up for me just really quickly, as quick as you can, the problem of first John that is going to lead into some of these other problems that is, that are addressed in second John. Yeah. So first John has kind as part of its main concern, this group of people John calls the deceivers, mm-hmm. the false prophets, or the antichrists. They are a group of people within the church, uh, potentially other pastors, who were teaching a gospel contrary to the apostolic one. Namely what? That Jesus did not come in the flesh. Right. And that Jesus did not die on the cross. Right. He did not come by water and blood. Right. Uh, so like that's kind of the central concern. That and Jesus is not God and man. That's yeah, yeah. That there's that was a main concern of it. Totally. And what that ended up doing to John's church was it eroded their confidence in both their position in God and mm. God's view of them. Yeah. So a lot of the letter of first John is written with the assurance of his people in mind. How can I comfort and encourage my people who feel attacked by these people and unsure of where they stand with God, but also as like giving them a litmus test to know how to deal and when they come into contact with an antichrist. Right. It's like a, it's a, it's, it's, it's like a five chapter test where it's like, you can give yourself this test and any other teacher who comes mm-hmm. to your church, you can give them this test yep. and you'll know whether they are in Christ or if they are antichrist. That's right. And, um, and so, yeah, that, that's really interesting. So we're dealing with false teachers who were denying the divinity of Jesus and, and how to identify them and what to do with them. Yes. Um, and so that, that really sets up an interesting thing here for second John, which I think we have to get into a little bit of the first century mindset to understand okay. what's happening because, uh, because of the, the system of Roman roads that have been built in this time and because of the widespread peace that was across the land because of the Pax Romana and because of a common language of Koine Greek, there was this widespread travel boom. 
Like mm-hmm. we we take travel for granted today. Right. We can hop in a car and drive across the country. I don't even have to leave to be communicate. I, I can go on Zoom and I can be in New York right. and Seattle at the same time. Exactly right. Not only that, not only is travel easier, there's there's road there's like paved roads and automobiles and planes and trains, you know, like right, right, there's right. also uh like travel industry. Right. Yep. There are hotels, mm-hmm. Airbnb, you mm-hmm. know, like mm-hmm. there are places to stay when you travel. Yep. Um, there is common currency, right? You can just grab your Amex card and then and go, go for it. No foreign transaction fees. You know, it's like, yeah, there, there is, there's a whole industry now built around making travel easier and making it an independent exercise. And my guess is that was not true. That was <laughs> not true of that day. So you, as travel is booming and becoming easy, uh, there are a whole new set of societal issues that come up mm-hmm. as people from other cities come are coming through your city. And what do you do with those people? Because there were there were not hotels. There right. were there were these things called inns, mm-hmm. but they were houses of ill repute. Yeah, and. You also have an interesting, I think what you're driving at here too, is that you have such an emphasis on hospitality throughout Jewish culture. Yes. And um, yeah, and just hospitality and, was a big deal in those days. It was honor, shame. Honor, shame. And even within scripture, mm-hmm. hospitality, uh, being kind to your neighbor, loving your neighbor as yourself is one of Jesus' most famous parables right. about the Samaritan who's traveling on a road from one place to another. Like, right. Like the idea of helping travelers is kind of like part and parcel of the Christian message. Mm-hmm. And so I think that what, what you're driving at here is the central tension is like, what happens when an antichrist comes to town? Right. What happens when you have somebody who walks into town, who claims to be a part of the apostolic community, who you would generally be inclined by both your culture and by your new faith to invite them into your church and life? How do you know when to say no to people like that? That's right. Because, um, you know, you, you have the, you have a Christian, you know, a, a professing Christian comes into your town. They are not going to stay at an inn, you know, that's rapacious and flea infested, according to a quote from a historian. <laughs> um, but instead, they're going to look for other Christians. They also don't want to stay in houses with idols in them. Like, there's all this stuff that yeah. Christians are also trying to abstain from certain parts and sectors of society that are uh, that are you know full of idolatry or yeah. sexual morality and so they're going to come to and look for other Christians in that city and they're going to assume upon their hospitality mm-hmm. yep and as a Christian you should help them yep like you talked about like it's part yep. and parcel of being a Christian is being yep. hospitable uh, and so yeah but but then what happens when that hospitality is being abused and the network of hospitable churches around um, this whole like Asia minor Asia minor Asia minor area is being exploited by false prophets and false teachers yeah. to spread their message yeah. like they're using the hospitality of churches as hubs to spread a false gospel. Yeah, here's the way he says it in verse seven. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. They're traveling using the Appian way. Yes. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. And if you wanna talk more, listen more about the Antichrist and why we believe it's, there's dozens of Antichrists who are false pastors 
just go listen to our previous podcast. Yeah, we talked about that at length. At length. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. I think I wanted to pause there. I, was like, I think what he's saying is like the danger in inviting an antichrist into your congregation is that you would accept an anti-gospel. Mm-hmm. Like the full reward is eternal life and resurrection with Jesus. Right. And if you, there is a risk of letting an antichrist into your congregation and leading people astray to a false gospel. Don't do that. Be warned about that. Yes. So everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has, but whoever abides in the teaching has both the father and the son. Now, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Mm. That's interesting. And that's the and that's kind of the way he ends it, and he has a, a short greeting. So what uh, you're saying is, farewell. so there's there's several things happening here. One, if you accept an antichrist and are hospitable to an antichrist, someone who's denying that Jesus was both God and man, but not only denying it, but teaching it. I think we need to talk about that difference. That there's yeah. a difference between somebody who holds uh, an antichrist belief and someone who is actively teaching and promoting an antichrist belief, mm-hmm. right? And Yes, and I think specifically, so this was, a, growing up, this was a proof text for me of why you shouldn't talk to a Jehovah's Witness. Right. Or not talk to a Mormon. People if, use this verse to make that point. If they knock on your door. I don't think that's what it's talking about no. here. When, so. Je- yeah, Jesus was hospitable to people with false beliefs. Yes, and I think the hospitality that we're talking about here isn't the type of hospitality that greets somebody into your home. It's the hospitality a church extends to an itinerant pastor or preacher exactly. and gives them authority in their congregation. Yes. The house that he's talking about is the church. Yeah, the elect lady's house. And specifically the elect lady in her children's house. Mm. John is using familial household language to refer to the household of God, the church, the body of Christ. Like he's talking, he's using family household language to talk about his church. Mm-hmm. So the injunction here, the the uh, the hospitality principle, the extension from the first John, that's his unique contribution here, is that don't put an antichrist in your pulpit. <laughs> yes, that's that's the what even he's itinerantly. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, because as we were talking about earlier, there are like at least three dangers. See if I can remember them all. Uh, one you mentioned was the spreading of false teaching internally at your church. The threat of like. The, the idea of Jesus not being God yep. seeping yeah. around your church. The, yes. The, so the threat of false teaching, he yes. says in verse 7, losing what we have worked for, that yes. you may win a full reward. So like the fidelity of the faithfulness of this people, the apostles mm. have worked to create a faithful community and these people can erode that. Yeah. And then there's the the one about like, but not, not it's not only about eroding faith and spreading false teaching internally. It's also if you are being hospitable mm-hmm. to an antichrist preacher in your local church, mm-hmm. you are actually taking part yeah. in that wicked deed. Yeah, you become complicit in the antichrist deceit and wickedness. Yeah, we'll talk about it next week in Third John, but they talk about how financially supporting good preachers is uh-huh. participating in their good work. That's right. In the same way here in Second John, he's saying that to be hospitable to false teachers is to prop up their work and be a and be part of disseminating it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's really intense. And w- what this does for me, so, I mean, this is a pretty eminently practical thing. He's yes. speaking t- 
presumably to the church at large, but also the leaders of this community. They want to practice hospitality towards these itinerant pe- preachers who are claiming to be a part of the apostolic tradition, but have like you know a new spin on the gospel that yeah. they want to t- want want to share. And they're like, sure, come on, we'll extend hospitality to you. Um, this doesn't feel, but if it, and as soon as that person though gets up on stage and says something ab- aberrant, mm. he says, "I don't believe Jesus came in the flesh." <laughs> I feel like it's pretty obvious. Right. Like, okay, that person can't preach anymore. Right. Like so, I'm like, I'm trying to have, a, I'm having a hard time, like, understanding the need to write this or like mm. the urgency behind it. Like, isn't it obvious when an antichrist comes preaching a false gospel, or is it not? It was, was there? You know what I mean? Like, what's the urgency here? What's the besides cultural like yeah. forces that would want to p- make you put a pastor on a pulpit? What's happening here? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is, I think you're right. They probably did not come in peddling bold-faced lies, you know, where they were just like, Jesus did not, is not God. They didn't Uh say that, you know. But um, as First John talked about, um, these are like children of the devil who have been lying from the beginning. Mm -hmm. They are expert deceivers, you know. And as you're hospitable to them over time, it's not uh, that they drop the hammer all at once, but there's a slow, mm. almost imperceptible erosion. Mm. And so I think it's, we need to... It's like sheep among wolves. Yeah, exactly it's like right. wolves disguise themselves as sheep. This moment of false teachers using the Appian way to go spread false doctrine about Jesus all around the early church was mm. predicted multiple times by Jesus, by Peter, by Paul, mm in their letters like this was meant to happen and paul i think it's paul who called them watch out for wolves in sheep's clothing that's exactly what's happening here this was expected to happen um and so uh, i think we have to understand that it's probably a little bit more nuanced than that uh one way to, th- to like nuanced than what i what i said yeah like, they were just like jesus is not god yeah, 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 yeah. just kind of like drops the hammer an interesting way to kind of get a peek at this is like this was like a huge problem in the early church so much so that there is a uh, manual for early church life uh that was probably written by the end of the first century called the, the didache the didache yeah. um and let me read you uh, i think it's four verses from okay. the didache so this is uh chapter 11 verse 4 through 7 this is not scripture <laughs> everybody it's just like a, it's just like a manual that early church leaders wrote yeah okay let every apostle who cometh unto you be received as the lord so it's like when you have a traveling apostle come, receive mm-hmm. him as you would Jesus, mm-hmm. right? Like treat him because yep. whatever you do, the least of these you've done to him. Yep. Uh, verse five, he will remain one day and if necessary, a second. But if he remains three days, he is a false prophet. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Verse six, and let the apostle when departing take nothing but bread until he arrive at his resting place. But if he asks for money, he is a false prophet. Verse 7, and ye shall not tempt or dispute with any prophet who speaketh in the spirit, for every sin shall be forgiven, but this sin shall not be forgiven. He even references the unforgivable sin that both Jesus wow. and First John referenced about traveling, like, well, for at wow. least First John, about traveling preachers. That definitely sounds like some, like, sort of, like, original denominational rules about yeah. itinerant pastors. That's, like, that's in, how people see the decay. Yeah. In this, this denomination, we don't send apostles out who will stay there for more than two days. That's right. Third person, they're not from us. They're not they from us. Money, not from us. Exactly. Because they couldn't call you and go like, 
hey, is this person from you? It's like, oh, you should know because our kind of people stay for two days max. Mm -hmm. They don't ask for any money and they only take bread with them when they leave. Interesting. And then it's like, what's also just intense is just this idea. We're obviously not unpacking this, but it is just interesting where it's like, if they start speaking false words, claiming it's from the spirit, don't even argue with them. Be, like, because they've committed the unforgivable sin. It's just oh, like, just, <laughs> just kick them out. It's like, whoa, dude. Just walk up on stage, silent with your security guards. Bye. <laughs> so intense. One of the things that the idea that adds some color to this, mm. um, it's like, you know, Paul and Jesus were not the first people to talk about wolves in sheep's clothing. Mm. The first wolf in sheep's clothing was the serpent in the garden. Totally. And you had an elect lady, Eve. Yes, Eve being deceived mm-hmm. by somebody who had a different gospel. Mm. You won't surely die. Right. There's another way to eternal life. You can know both good and evil. And Adam, the supposed elder, you know, like the, mm. the, the leadership figure or whatever, the husband, the loving husband, did not protect his bride from the deception of the evil one. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm also just thinking about the way that cosmically or like um, since the beginning of human history, the idea of a wolf in sheep's clothing coming to the chosen women of God yeah. and then being unprotected by their spouse is the con- is a constant threat throughout scripture. And even John in his revelation will describe the entire history of God's people as a woman trying to give birth with a dragon like crouched at her hips ready to devour the child. Right. The idea of a deceiver robbing the elect lady of truth and life is the story of scripture. That's right. Yep. Um, yeah. And I, I, I mean, it's really good. And I'm like, I think one of the things that we have to understand here that is so important to second John is the only way to identify um, a antichrist, at least if we're going to use second John's mm-hmm. tests, because first John also has like moral tests, mm-hmm. you know, do they love their brother? Yep. You know, which is really interesting. Uh, but here it's like, if we know the truth, it's like, we have to hold fast to the truth that we've had from the beginning mm-hmm. in order to identify antichrists. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I'm just, I'll get a little real here. Okay. Uh, it's a little, it's personal to me. Yeah. After, you know, luckily I don't really have to do it anymore, but after 10 years of traveling and speaking for a living, uh-huh. I was, I was an itinerant preacher. Yeah. Uh, this was my job was did to travel three days. I did. And I, and I got Bossed. money for it no, and I got money for it. <laughs> and so, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been like wrestling with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, um, now we'll learn in third John that it's right to pay and provide for true As teachers. As we said, the Didache is not scripture, but right. it was a denominational rules for their people. That's right. Yeah. But uh, I do think it's interesting to put the tests of second John and the warnings of second John up against much of the modern way that itinerant, the, the industry of itinerant preachers hmm. operates. Yeah. Uh, there are countless Christian authors, Christian speakers who come in and they bring words that sound yeah. really good, but there is a deception underneath them. And if you and you you hear them when they're like cornered on podcasts or mm-hmm. in Q and A's to answer really simple doctrinal questions about 
who is Jesus? What did he accomplish on the cross? You mm-hmm. know, and they will not answer them mm-hmm. faithfully. They won't mm-hmm. hold up the truth that we've had from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I think that we might be committing some of the sins and falling prey to some of these, uh. these issues that second John's trying to warn us of because the highest level of hospitality is given to some of these false teachers. Interesting. And so it's like, yeah, it's, it's really intense. I'm not, uh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and this is what I think this is why it's important too, is I wanted to say, I almost said this. I was like, I wanted to say, I'm not trying to sound judgmental, mm-hmm. but I am. Yeah, and I think second yeah, yeah. John is calling us to be not judgmental in this, in the pejorative just sense where you're discerning, just, but discerning. Yeah. We must be discerning mm-hmm. too much is on the line. We could find ourselves being party to the wicked deeds yeah. of the antichrists. And I think to your, to, to your broader point here, the idea of greeting somebody or giving somebody teaching authority in your church, mm-hmm. we've just outsourced as a culture to things like podcasts and YouTube channels, which yeah. uh, we are one of them. We are one of those. <laughs> but like, I think there is, I think we should go back and talk about the way this relates to pastors and their congregations. But mm-hmm. broadly for the general person, like you can greet and grant authority in your house to false teachers very easily uh, because of the way the internet works. Oh like, yeah, totally. Like like you can do that. The new Appian way. The new Appian way of the internet. Like we even talk about the way we want to subvert that yeah. as, as an organization. But um, yeah, so that, like there's, there is a warning here to yeah. be discerning. And I think it's helpful to modernize the Appian way a little bit here where mm-hmm. it's like, okay, think about it when it comes to traveling celebrity preachers and authors um, that you see at a conference mm-hmm. put on by a church or denomination. Like, are they a false teacher? How much hospitality yeah. has been shown them? You know, like I made my living for many years off of that hospitality. Right. I don't think I was wrong to do that. Mm-mm. Paul says that, you know, uh, those who uh, preach the gospel should make their living by the gospel. Yeah. You know, we're going to learn in third John that it's okay to support those kinds the of people. The Appian way isn't a bad thing. That's how we got Paul's letters. That's right. right. Yeah. But if they're a false teacher, something is happening mm-hmm. that, that's wrong. So I think it's helpful to modernize it there. I think it's helpful to modernize it with the internet mm-hmm. and thinking about the fact that there is a new Appian way straight onto our phones. And we, almost as individuals, as elect ladies, as mm-hmm. you know, children of the elect lady, we need to be careful mm-hmm. who we allow to have a voice on yeah. the pulpit of our phones. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, and I think, and then obvi- the, the obvious parallel is to leaders of churches. Yes, who are have an opportunity frequently to pedestal anybody, whether they show their video in, in mm-hmm. during service mm-hmm. or they invite that person to come speak. Like or put their book in the bookstore. Or put their book in their bookstore. There are ways that we can give authority yes. to people that don't that preach against the gospel of Jesus. Um, okay. Yeah. Why is that good news? Yeah, I was going to ask you the same question. <laughs> you got to beat me. Uh, why is it good news yeah. that there are boundaries on what we should listen to and yeah. who we should platform. Well, I think there's a simple answer and then we'll, we'll try to get to the more complex yeah. one because there, there's a, the simple answer is because it's protecting the good news mm-hmm. that, that we believe the news that Jesus is God in the flesh who died for our sins as a propitiation to use first mm-hmm. John's language mm-hmm. is such good news that it deserves to be protected. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why, why is second John good news? It's because it protects the good news. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I think, I think we can often think that, uh, 
refusing to show hospitality to a false teacher or putting up a wall and mm-hmm. saying like, no, you may not speak here. Like yeah. you are not of us, mm-hmm. um, I think can feel hateful. Yeah. Right. And intolerant. Mm-hmm. But John here actually calls it loving. And so yeah. um, it's good news because we're actually loving our congregation, our family, ourself, our community, mm-hmm. and anyone else whom that false teacher might damage better because we are protecting the purity of the good news that Jesus is God who died in the flesh for our sins. Right. It's the way we obeyed the commandment in that first one ended with little children, keep yourself from idols. Yeah. Keep yourself from false conceptions of the good news, false mm-hmm. ways to attain eternal life. There is only one way. And he wants to give that to you. He wants to give you your full reward. Um, and every other way will not provide yeah. it. And, uh, Alfred Plummer, a commentarian, he said this that I thought was really interesting. Uh, it's kind of why. So what do you say? A commentarian? A commentarian? A commentator? A com- commentator? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but he said, charity has its limits. It must not be shown to one man in such a way as to do grievous harm to others. Hmm. Showing hospitality, charity to one false teacher does grievous harm to others. So how do you love your neighbor? How do you love those others? Uh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. don't show charity to the one man who wants to harm them through false teaching. And that's good. That's the way actually John rolls into his whole conversation about false false teachers in mm. Second John 5. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as I was writing you a new commandment, but the one that we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandments, just as you heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Because many deceivers have gone out in the world. John front loads his whole conversation about barring positions of authority in your church with the command to love one another and to obey Jesus. Mm. Like this is a direct, there is a direct line between protecting your flock, protecting your own soul from false teachers and obeying the commands to love yourself and to love your neighbors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's why elders were also called shepherds. That's right. Shepherds protect their flock from wolves. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just what right. they do. Yep. Um, there's also, I mean, there's also some some good news too in um, the idea here. He mentions so that you might have your full reward. Yeah. You know, it's like there is a full reward in just believing the simple truth of the gospel. You know, and like that is something to hold fast to, like to yeah. protect. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just, I'm just going through my notes here and just noticing interesting things. Well, yeah. Well, the full reward. What is that? Yeah. That's the gift of the Father's power, mm. the Son's presence. That's that's only given to people who embrace the true apostolic gospel. It doing what it commands. Well, like we talked so at length about the fact that Jesus lives inside of us, empowering us. Whatever we pray according to God's will will happen right. and we will receive it from God. All that is part of the full reward of being in Christ, not to mention resurrection from the spiritual dead, mm. resurrection from the physical dead, and then life with God on earth forever. Like all that's on the line. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's really good. It's worth protecting. It's worth protecting. Yeah. Um, other just little things that I noticed here uh, is there's a diff like it's like I think it's easy to read this and talk about it and think about the antichrists, uh, the deceivers as an anomaly, but the language of Second John suggests that they are prevalent. Mm. Uh, so you have I rejoiced greatly 
to find some of your children walking in the truth. Mm-hmm. Some. You get to the Antichrists, verse 7, for many deceivers have mm-hmm. gone out. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's the some versus the many. I yeah. mean, this J- Jesus taught a parable like this. You know, that like, it's it's a narrow road yeah. that few find themselves on. Uh, and I was just like, I think we need, I'm not saying that every, so I'm, I mean, there must be an Antichrist behind every door. You know, that's not what I'm necessarily saying. Right, right, right. But what I am saying is the problem is more prevalent than we want yeah. to admit. Yeah. Yes. And so um, I found that interesting. Here's, I want to go back. I, I think that's interesting as well. I want to go back to something, the the idea of the historic battle, the cosmic battle. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of Antichrist stretching all the way back to the garden. Okay. Um, and how, how does, how will Jesus do it for us? Mm-hmm. Like we can do it by protecting our borders. But all the way back in the garden, over a meal, yeah, over hospitality, over eating fruit, the the serpent offer the deceiver, the antichrist offers the woman a different gospel. Right. Uh, they share that food, and the rest of history is defined by being deceived and led away and led astray by idols. Yeah. All of Israel's history, other gods, <laughs> yeah. other idols, other nations, other political parties, whatever it was, mm-hmm. like there's always something that drew people away from the true, the truth of God's salvation found in God himself and his coming son and coming yes, king. Always. As soon as the coming king comes, mm. Jesus, there are new idols, new teachers, new deceivers, new antichrists repeating the Garden of Eden narrative. Uh. We're still in that same moment. We're still in a moment that Israel's always experienced. False idols are everywhere yep. trying to get us to not believe the truth that God has come, he is king, he is ruling, and he will save. Mm-hmm. And at the end of history, the dragon is still crouching at the hips right. of the pregnant elect lady. Mm-hmm. And what will God do? He will crush the head of the serpent. Right. He, he will, will slay the dragon. He will slay the dragon. And the, save the woman. The end of history is that the Antichrists lose. Yeah. The deception is gone and all that is left is truth, mm-hmm. which is how John opens his letter here. Like, um, who I love you in truth. And not only I, but also everybody else who knows the truth mm. because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Yeah. Truth will abide forever. Yeah. That's really good news is it that is. there will there will come a time when Jesus defeats the deceiver uh, so much so that there is no more deception. There is only truth. I'm, I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 13 where it says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. Mm-hmm. And it's like, now it's it's hard to mine out what's absolutely right, absolute truth. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be difficult mm-hmm. in a world of grays and deception and lies mm-hmm. to be like, what's actually true? You know, ethicists, you know, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. philosophers scratch their heads forever trying to think about it. So do theologians for that matter. And... It's good news to think that there will come a day when we will see plainly what is true mm-hmm. and we will know if anything is false yeah. with, and it, it can, it could not possibly deceive us. There will be no lies right. when Jesus comes. That's amazing. Which it's like so much of my general day is spent. How much of this is true? Mm. Is that true? Is that a trustworthy news source? Is that right? Can I trust his motives? Can I trust her motives? Does my wife really understand me? Yeah. Can I even trust my own motives when reading Second John to read right. it plainly without my own lenses on right. it? Can I trust this podcast? Does Seth and David really know what they're talking right. about? Like, I won't have to worry about that one yeah. day. 
because truth will win. Yeah, it's really it's really interesting to think about the gospel turn of mm-hmm. um, Jesus beating the lies mm-hmm. of the serpent. Mm-hmm. That that's been the problem from the beginning. It was the first sin mm-hmm. was believing a lie. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's still happening in Second John. It's still happening today, mm-hmm. you know? But there, there will come a time where I want to go to Barnes & Noble and be like, which books are antichrists <laughs> and which books are Christ-centered? Yeah. Uh, everything will be Christ-centered, <laughs> you know? Like, yes. nothing will be anti-Jesus. Yeah. Oh, that's really good news. I've got uh, one last final okay. mini yeah. thing here. Good luck beating uh, that last one. But, yeah. uh, it won't beat that we're gonna, last one. We're going to end on a down note. <laughs> uh, 2 John 12. Okay. Though I have much to write to you, yeah. I would rather not use pe- paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face. Yeah, and he, so, he ends this and 3 John the same way. He does. Right. And what I thought was really interesting about that is that's the way that God describes his own coming at the end of time. That I, you'll see me face to face? You'll see me face to face. Yeah. Like that's the hope uh, that's the eschatological hope mm. of humanity that one day we'll see truth face to face. We'll see God face to face. It won't be mediated by by, by paper and pen. By paper and pen. <laughs> the Bible. <laughs> the Bible, yeah. but will be fulfilled by seeing God face to face in Jesus. That's that's good news. I thought that was good news I like too. That. And even thinking about the way that God being in us in such a way that when we pray, God works through us and we become the. Mm-hmm. Re- the way God redeems the world. I wonder if like John is even like, when I come, I will bring God to a certain extent with me. Yeah. And we will experience some more of God's glory when we're together. Right. And I'm like, it's this idea of like making our joy complete. Yes. And one of, and each of us bearing the image of Jesus together. Uh, that's why the church is such good news. The body of Christ is such good news. Yeah. That's really good. I just, I love that idea of like, I talk all the time about how the Bible, because like second Corinthians three and four talk about, that the the Bible has a veil over it that keeps us from seeing the light of the glory of the face of Jesus Christ in the gospel. And that our whole mission at Spoken Gospel is to get the veil off your Bible mm-hmm. and get you to see the face of Jesus, to see Jesus face to face in paper and ink, mm-hmm. right? Yep. But it's actually really good news that one day I'll be out of a job. Yes. Right? That there will no longer be a paper and ink mediator between us and the face of God, but instead we will behold him face to face without deception. It was like really good news. I've always imagined like there's still being writers in heaven and still yes. being like preachers in heaven. Yes. But like instead of it being like, and this is true, guys, don't you, this isn't going to be great news. I'm going to convince you. I'm just going to, one is like, and that's what he did over there. And then Jesus is going to kind of like sheepishly wait, like, hey, hey. Uh, tell me, yeah, I did that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, we'll still use those gifts. Yeah. But we won't have to like hope they'll be true or wonder if they're true. They will be true. They will be true. And we will see them to be true face yeah. to face. That's really good. Uh, okay. Second John. That's Second John. Uh, it's a it's a chock full little book. It is a little. Uh, I wouldn't have thought that at, when I just read it through the first time. Yeah. Uh, oh, no. Yeah. The more I studied this, this just goes to show the value of being and loving Bible nerdy things. Yes. Like, it's just. It pays dividends. This pays dividends. Yeah. Um, oh, before we sign off on this, you and I talked off air a few days ago, so hopefully uh-huh. you can remember oh, gosh. Um, about how it's interesting to think about Second John bringing up this idea of itinerant missionaries and mm-hmm. itinerant travelers. And then mm-hmm. Third John's going to talk about the same thing. Mm-hmm. And likely the Antichrist and First John were also itinerant travelers. Oh, yeah. And that 
all it's interesting to go back and read first john thinking about the idea of itinerant travelers and yeah. that all the commands in first john about loving your brother in it being a test of whether or not you're in christ could be about loving other itinerant missionaries who come through your your doors right because if we have a bad itinerant missionary here right. but in third time we have a good itinerant missionary yep. and, and so like, you need to love the good ones yeah <laughs> you know it's so just, yeah we yeah. talked about brothers being fellow members of your church we talked about brothers being even your enemies but there's also like the way that john uses brothers here in third john at yep. least will be itinerant missionaries preaching the true gospel yeah and so i'll say oh yeah we we totally yeah. missed that it was just interesting to go back after yeah. having second john fill out more of the world mm-hmm. to go back and be like oh that makes more loving sense first your john. brothers is loving missionaries being yeah. hospitable to missionaries yeah, yeah. Super cool. Okay, just wanted to throw that last little nugget in there. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast on Second John. Next, next week, week we'll be in Third John. Third John will be super exciting, and we will see you there. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel creates short films, devotionals, and podcasts like this one. Everything we make is free because of generous supporters like you. To see our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. See you next week.